Tobias Carlyle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. And we're live. It's 10.30 a.m. in Los Angeles and in Sacktown. It's uh, 1.30 p.m. East Coast, 12.30 p.m. Central, Chi-Town. What's happening, What's gentlemen? happening, Chi-Town? <laughs> You want to let everybody know why you, why we couldn't make the podcast yesterday, Bill? I had to play <laughs> golf with some people. Uh, Bill's personal schedule is no, messing it's everyone. It's not up. like that. It was totally business. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I'm good friends with those guys, but uh, business golf. I'm, le- I'm leaving where I am, UK, uh, for a while, and uh, I needed to see those guys. Those guys are good scuttlebutt machines. And uh, it was it was nice, but thank you all for bearing with me. You, you're not you're not talking to your wife here, mate. No, I'm just telling you. <laughs> I'm not, like I'm not. I didn't ditch you all for nothing. There's a reason. I was working Sweden, hard, honey. Maryland, Montreal, Texas. Come on, Albuquerque. In the house, Utrecht, Netherlands, Portland, Austin, Atlanta, Germany. This is awesome. Global. Not much Asia, though, huh? Yeah, wrong time of the day, I think. It's like 4.30 a.m. Oz. Anybody in that kind of uh, time zone? COVID Florida, how are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, COVID Florida, where are you at? (laughs) Bill wants to know so he doesn't go there. No, I'm I'm on my way. (laughs) NZ. Hey, NZ's up. This is awesome. Boston, Ontario. Whose who's intro is it today? I went last week and messed it up. I think it's someone else's turn. <laughs> I can't remember. I'll, I'll do it. No? Welcome to Value After Hours. I'm Tobias Carlisle. Still struggling with a noisy mic, quiet mic. No idea what's going on. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Bill <laughs> Brewster and Jake Taylor. Uh, Going to get some uh, audience feedback on the microphone in just a moment. But uh, how you doing, fellas? Doing well, man. Gonna Living talk about some Starbucks today. Nice. Mm. Yeah, looking forward to that one. I have uh, on investing like a stoic. So I like we'll that. Marcus Aurelius. Philosophy. It's kind of amazing, right? Marcus Aurelius, Roman general, emperor, uh, writes emperor. these letters for living your life. Like that's the kind of guy I want to get some life lessons from. Yeah, no doubt. What have you done? Uh, <laughs> Fellas, uh, if just let us know how the uh, let us know how the volume is. If it's uh, if thank you, David, got it. Yeah, if it gets too loud or something, I, I don't know what's going on. It's crazy. It seems to be changing over the course of the from one podcast to the next. So if it gets if it gets wacky, let us know and we'll try and fix it live. That'll be an absolute disaster, but uh, it could be fun. Uh, my topic's going to be. I'm talking. I, I talked to Mikhail Samanov. He, he he runs two centuries. He's a quant. Runs two centuries investments. Uh, he has run this value back test all the way back to 1825, stitching together Cal's data and this. Uh, I'm going to mispronounce it, but 
Kurtzman, I think, is the uh, is the is the other data set. Um, kind of fascinating the number of just gigantic crashes and recessions and depressions that have just completely disappeared from our collective memory, uh, captured in this in this very long back test. And so I went back and I just looked at any time there was a big dip, what what was the what was going on at that time? What caused that dip? And it's, I've got this. It's a funny history. I'm just going to go through it. What's your topic, Jake? Are oh, you doing Stoics? Sorry. Yeah. Who who wants to kick it off? Jake, you want to go? I think this value crowd could probably use some stoicism. <laughs> <laughs> All right, right after this. Right after this. All right. So, I am doing uh, how to invest like a stoic, and what's what's amazing about it is that, uh, like you said, these guys were mostly from two thousand years ago. And what you come to realize is that all the same problems that you know we have now, that things that bother us, they bother these guys too. And uh, what's interesting is that you know they developed this philosophy of life that that actually uh, you could call like sort of the the aspirin of philosophy. In that, you know, for 2,500 years, people knew that the willow tree, what for whatever reason, would had healing properties for someone and it, it wasn't until much much later that we understood that it was acetyl salicylic acetyl salicylic acid that's that uh, is panadol uh, paracetamol right uh, i forget what the tylenol uh no tylenol is uh, tylenol is ibuprofen i think no. anyway what, what is it then what's the what's the brand name sorry dude i've totally derailed you already <laughs> Bear, I think, was real early on in the aspirin world. Is it aspirin? Anyway, yeah, aspirin. Okay. The, yeah, so the, the, this, like, we, we know now that that's the compound in, that also is found in willow bark that is healing. Uh, now, these guys 2,000 years ago sort of stumbled upon a kind of an operating system for how you view the world that they couldn't tell you the psychology research that would support that particular uh, finding, but, you know, it, it worked for them as well. So almost empirically, uh, you know, they have this a, a good result from it. So I find that to be interesting. Now, what this uh, this whole segment is inspired by is, is a, a lovely little book by William Irvine that's called A Guide to the Good Life. And if you haven't done much research, if you haven't read the original materials of Seneca or Marcus Aurelius, these this is a really approachable book for getting some of the tenets of Stoic philosophy. Uh, and it's relatively short and it's, you know, it's it's easily uh, digestible in like a couple sessions where they're reading. It's very hard to read those translations. I've found I've found a couple of translations for free online. Uh, I haven't got all the way through it. Yeah. Can you give it to me in ten <laughs> bullet points? <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I have I have eight tips for you today. That'll so do. That's, that's even better. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just the tips, please. Just the tips. Six, six minute abs. What about five minute abs? Uh, <laughs> all right. So, tip number one. Uh, he, he says that what you should, what the first thing about having a philosophy of life is that you really should have some sort sort of bigger goal, some kind of grand goal. And, you know, in the investing world, maybe that for you is, you know, setting yourself up for retirement or financial independence, or maybe there's charitable endeavors that you're interested in, um, world domination, world domination is another option. Um, yeah. 
But the, the risk of not having a philosophy of just sort of drifting through is that you get to the end and you realize that you like wasted so much time. And so it, it is important, I think, to have some sort of bigger, like what you're trying to accomplish. So I was thinking about for this segment, by the way, eight tips is a lot. So I'm going to try to move quickly and you guys just like jump in after. Okay. So perfect. Don't be shy. Uh, so tip number two. Uh, is this idea of negative visualization. And what you're doing there is you're picturing what is the worst case scenario. And, you know, value guys in general, I think are pretty good at this in that, you know, you're always worried, like what's, take care of the downside and the upside will take care of itself. We have a lot of, of maxims that have developed from that. Uh, you know, a margin of safety is another way of sort of predicting, you know, what's the worst possible thing. Uh, the, the other place where that's helpful is that by imagining that negative visualization, you, in a way, you're immune is, <clears throat> you're you're creating an immunization to when bad things actually do end up happening, right? Because you've sort of already thought about that something bad's going to happen, and it, it's when you're surprised is when it's extra hard to control your emotions. Shout out to the Wells Fargo shareholders. <laughs> too soon. To, to all value investors out there. <laughs> Well, I'm talking about negative surprises. Finding out your CEO didn't do anything for two years was a negative surprise, but that's different. Uh, all right. Tip number three is this idea called the trichotomy of control. And what that means is you could basically break up the world into three buckets. Bucket number one are things that you have complete control over, things you have no control over, and the things that you have partial control over. Now, what you want to focus most of your efforts on are is obviously the things that you have complete control over. So that's, you know, the goals that you set for yourself. That's the values that you adopt, like how you want to live your life. Uh, I do a fair amount of coaching for my kids' baseball teams. And one of the things that we always talk about almost every game is that, you know, when you're at bat, you only have, there's only two things that you have control over. You can control which pitch that you swing at. So pitch selection and number two, you could control how how you swing. Like, did you take your good swing or not? And those are the only two things that you have any control over. So when in the investment context, you know, obviously choosing the pitches that you swing at is is investment selection. And then, you know, how you swing, like taking your good swing is like, how well did you work your process to come up with what you're doing? Now, what do you have no control over? Almost everything else, right? Like the outcomes are very, very... Uh, d number one, difficult to predict, but also you, there's so much stuff out there that you just can't know. And luck is still a very big factor, especially over shorter periods of time. Uh, you know, we end up doing a lot of resulting, I think, uh, because of that. Um, and then the things that you have partial control over, you like in baseball context, you know, you could, you want to, you don't want to pick external goals necessarily. So like we, you could say like, we want to beat that other team. Well, you don't. There's not everything you're going to be able to do to beat that other team. You can, however, set an internal goal of wanting to play the best that you're capable of, right? So, uh, you know, winning the external game might be like, I want to have the best returns ever. Okay, well, I mean, good luck with that. But the internal goal might be like, I want to be, I want to produce the best investment process that I'm capable of doing. And that is an internalized goal that you have some partial control over. Okay. Nothing. We'll keep moving on. Yeah, no, that makes sense. All right. Tip number four is welcome your fate. So you don't, you want to be fatalistic about the past. There's nothing you can't change it. And 
you know, there's no sense in really ruminating about it. Um, you know, and I think that's sort of self self-explanatory. You know, a lot of times we like to, you know, sit there and lick our wounds about our losses. Um, <laughs> number five is you want to welcome discomfort and practice poverty. And that's an, yeah, no, that one's been very easy for value guys to internalize <laughs> for the last five years. <laughs> Uh, so they, I mean, in the stoic context, they would purposely maybe a couple days a month wear rough clothes and, uh, you know, eat really poor food, poor, like, you know, low nutrition, not, you know, fancy foods, uh, just so that you would sort of desensitize, you would resensitize yourself to the, the other good things that you have around your life. All right. Tip number six, meditate and be self-aware. You have and how that shows up in the investment context is really doing a postmortem on all of your investments. Uh, you know, you want to improve, keep an investment journal, keep track, like learn from your mistakes. Uh, you know, this, uh, at bedtime, one of the philosophers said, you should ask yourself, what ailment of yours have you cured today and where can you show improvement? So, you know, for us, that's basically like, where did I, where could I have improved in my process? What, where, where did things go wrong? Maybe if it didn't work out, where did I get lucky potentially if it did work out, even though you missed something important? Um, and they say even to, to count injury as profitable because it's a chance for you to test yourself, to prove yourself, and to prove your virtues. So, you know, I think another way of saying that would be like learn from your losses. All right. Tip number seven would be, and then, you know, this one is pretty, pretty common in the investing world or this, the value world is, is following your inner scorecard. If, if your goal is to win the admiration of others in this game, then almost by definition, you have to be willing to adopt their values or maybe even said another way, their benchmarks, right? So if you're following your own inner scorecard, it's much easier to, to be a little bit detached and not take on everyone else's baggage. Um, and then finally, tip number eight is uh, there are two primary sources of misery, human misery. Number one is insatiability. So you're and which we could almost call it like greed, maybe in the investment context. Uh, and then number two is, is then worrying about things that are beyond your control. So, you know, what Andy Duke would call resulting. So roll all those things up together in summary. Uh, I would say the, the advice is to stoically work your process, try to improve every day, ignore the crowd, and then accept your fate. Yeah, that's great. I love that list. Good aspirational list. Just remember if you underperform, right? Like you visualize this, continue the process. <laughs> what other choice yeah, have you got? Right, I, mean, oh, I guess you could change, yeah. right? Well, I don't, I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, look, I, I had like a really good conversation with somebody about Wells who thinks I'm early on it. And I think he's got a lot of really good points. Um, but that's not really the game that I'm trying to play, right? I'm trying to buy an asset base that I see that I think can generate cash uh, for a reasonable price. And I mean, I might underperform for a while on that, right? But I, I sort of, uh, I mean, I told him I don't care uh, because that's not really how I'm going to be measured. Uh, over time, I certainly hope it all takes care of itself. But, you know, in a year and a half, that's super easy to say the day you're buying the position. Like, oh, I don't care if it's dead money for a little while. I mean, but, you know, it sucks after a while. Um, yeah. So to be able to constantly look at it and, you know, maybe part of the answer is don't constantly look at it. But 
Um, y- you know, it's just uh, similar to COVID, um, preparing mentally and then living it emotionally are two different things. I mean, what are the odds that you were going to bottom ticket anyway? Yeah, none. It's, I mean, I'm not a genius. I'm just some dude. Oh, that's <laughs> luck anyway. Bottom ticking is luck. No Unless you're Munger, man. Bottom ticking. Ah, Munger pulling over to the freeway knowing he's bottom ticking. No, he didn't. He did. No, he didn't. But it's so legendary if we say he did. <laughs> I don't, if we must have been close. I mean, to the month, probably. Yep. I mean, look at look at Munger Wheeler's LP results, and they're all over the place, right? That That's an indication. Like, over the longer sweep, they're good. But inner year volatility was, like, off the charts, right? So that's a sign of not being able to bottom tick. Sometimes it's also, yeah. like, you, you, only, you can only play the you can only play the opportunity set that you're presented with. You know, I look at just, just to, just to steal it for my own topic, but I look at that long sweep of that 195 year history that we have. And, uh, it's just kind of striking. Like, you know, Graham gets famous running from basically post the great depression for 20 years. And then Buffett picks up 56 to, you know, Buffett partnership, 56 to 69. Like that's 13 years. It's like, nothing in that full period but it's some of the best years in that period like if you're if you're just a value guy at the right time and you outperform even value like all of a sudden you're benjamin graham or warren buffett but you don't hear of a lot of guys who are you know about that 2000 to 2006 period well then then there's einhorn time there's einhorn right who's he's like he captures 96 to 2006 and he also captures 2006 to, to date and it's almost like he's two different guys yeah, Fink, I Finkel and Einhorn that tweet out the other, it was earlier this morning <laughs> this right? morning yeah that was yeah. from last week from our last from our last session you, you, you kind of you, and I for me it's helpful to go back and look at those I like running through back tests and I go through them in pretty granular detail I look at like what's the move from day to day month to month to the extent that you have that data uh, you know, it's it's kind of shocking, like how, you know, there's. So we'll, we'll come to we'll come to this in a moment. I don't want to foreshadow it too much, but I, I find it. I I do many of those things that you've listed out there by going back and reliving that data and and thinking how what would you have done through this period of time? You'd have had these extremely long periods of time where you would have been underperforming. I mean, it's similar to what we've gone through now. And you know, there's a lot of people out there who are calling value dead you know what who am i to say that it's not you know all i can do is look at that data and say i don't think that it is toby do you have a se- well i guess i can wait until your segment but if we're already in there let's just go for it we can uh, segue what's what's your sense of the average period of time of the snapback from it's it's severe underperformance like can you time it's that very at all, rapid. or is it it's funny you know that there's that old there's that old stock market saw that stocks take the escalator up and they take the elevator down like they go down much that faster the than they opposite. go up yeah like in terms of underperformance like the under so let, let me let me just go through the data like i'll go through it in a little bit of granular form i'll link to the charts in the show notes um because they're fascinating and then uh mikhail Samanov, who, who's the gentleman at who runs founder and runs two centuries he's a quant he's been a quant for a very long time he kindly sent me the underlying data and I've been, I'm thinking about making it into a chart with some annotations on it. There are these enormous events that we've just completely lost to the sands of time. But the data starts in 1825. To contextualize that, there was this period of time when Vanderbilt is born, um, 
in Staten Island. You know, it's all sailing ships. And to go across to New York was a big event. New York was smaller than Philly, I think, at the time. And there's this industrialization in the States that takes this. New York becomes this, the financial industrial center. And the US explodes and Vanderbilt sort of rides that first wave. He gets his first fleet of steamships in 1825. 1827, the railroad mania starts. That goes on for quite a long period of time. But the first panic occurs in 1837. Value factor. This is long, short value. You can go through the data and see which side drives it. But basically, this is driven partly by you know a similar scenario where you have tech stocks running away. The tech stocks are railroad stocks. And the, the more uh, and at this time the data is the only data they could get. There were two hundred and thirty seven issues out of six hundred, and they were dividend payers. That was how they assessed. That's the only way you could assess value. So they're saying the low dividend pay, high dividend payout ratio. No accounting of any of the. You don't know what's internal. All you can do is construct it from outside. So the dividend payers get smashed up. The non the rapidly growing things do very well, uh, and that's the first big drawdown. It's panic of eighteen thirty seven. It bottomed in 1841, down 50%. 1844, three years later, Telegraph is invented. I, I find this kind of fascinating that this stuff happened. And then th that kicks off this next sort of in this technological revolution again. And uh, th then there's a panic of 1857. Values down 49% by, by 1862. Interesting thing in that period, 1861 to 1865, American Civil War goes on. So when you say value is down, you mean that relative to the top performing... I'm talking uh, excess return, long short. So what, what we're talking about is, yeah. so if the market's running away, your long short return is, is down 50% relative to where the market is. Like you're 50% behind. You've got half as much money as if you'd been in the market long only. Yeah. You're, you're long right. short down 50%. So at the time there was this thing called the uh, sorry fast forward a few years coming to the end of the railroad mania which went on for a really long period of time um like at the time they called this the great depression and it subsequently was renamed to the long depression when the great depression hmm. it was actually great depression 3.0 1929 was the great depression 3.0 but they'd forgotten that there was a great depression at the start of the 18th, uh, 1800s as well hmm. So then there's this, like, it's devastating when you see it in the, in the We're chart. We're going to take that back for 2020. Well, I hope not, but it's not out of the, it's not out of the question. I mean, this is the thing that really taught, teach, taught me that many of these things that we viewed as sort of being events that only were one-off, like the Great Depression was a one-off and it happened so long ago, like nearly, what's well, 90 something years ago now. Uh, you know, there've been three, uh, in the, three in the first hundred and hundred years of the data and there's been none since then so they're, they're definitely they they do pop up much more frequently than people realize so the panic of 1901 bottoms in 1904 value factor down 59 percent that's significant because it's the same amount that we're down now relative to the panic so the panic of 1901 similar kind of scale for value to where it is now then you get the great crash of 1929 to 1932. Value factor again down 54%. And that leads into the Great Depression. It takes a long time to come out of that. Basically, you get out of that in about 1939. And then McHale calls this period 1940 to 2006 is the golden era for value. It's basically the fewest drawdowns, the, the shallowest drawdowns, best performance. And that's where most of our data is. That's where... 
The FAMA French data often starts in 1950, other than the price to book data, which starts in 1920. So during this golden era, we have the oil crisis, 1973 to 1974. Value factors down like 25% long short because you're protected by the shorts in many of these. Yawn. Black Monday, 1987, like it's hard to find it on the chart. It's, it's a tiny little drop down. It's less than 20%. Black Wednesday, 1992 is a little bit bigger, down 30%. Dot com, 98 to 2000, like not in the top five, but down 40%. GFC, 2007, 2009, same amount. Current one, I don't know what you call this, COVID, death of value, uh, down 59%. So we're enduring. Like it's a truly historic period that we're going through. Like you, you, we're all living the Chinese curse. Maybe you live in interesting times. So I, I, for me, it's, it's, it's very much like that practicing that stoic philosophy of going back and looking at here are all the worst things, here are all the really bad things that have happened. Here's how frequently they happen. Depressions and recessions and stock market crashes are basically the order of the day there. They're things that you should expect. You shouldn't expect bull markets because most of the time the market's in a drawdown. For uh, the value, is that a price to book factor? I'm just trying to get a sense of what the factor is that you're so they discussing. Kn- they knitted three things together. They've got this, I'm sl- slightly mispronouncing this name, but it's Kurtzman is a researcher who's put together, they went and found every report that they could find from these people. They've had to reconstruct this data looking at dividends and stock prices to the extent that they could find them. And then there was the cows data, which it was famously, he put it onto these punch cards. And that ran, uh, I think it was 1875 to sort of the early 1900s. And that was the thing that Graham referred to when he said, I've looked at this back test for value and it's done 15% a year over the last 25 years, I think he said. So he was talking about the cows data. And then there is uh, Fama French and it all gets more granular and better as you go along. But basically it's price to book. It starts off, Kurtzman is price to dividend patchy to the extent that they could put it together then cows which was punch card and i think it's price to book and then current one is price to book again is there a sense of uh you know the underperformance can come from you know like a- absolute losses versus relative underperformance like is there a common theme between each like values underperformance so there's not, and that's one of the. So this is not something that that uh, that Mikhail teased out of the data, but this is something that I ran myself because I can look at both sides and look at the drawdowns. I'm still trying to. It's very hard to knit the data together. It's not as as easy. So that the, there are, there are several periods where it's really kind of amazing that the value under performance is driven by the long side, and the long side. Um, sorry, sorry, is driven by is driven by the bubble side. This. So 73.74, pretty reasonable underperformance, but it's driven by the expensive stocks. I think that was like a nifty 50 period. Same thing again in 99, 2000. It was a nifty, it was like a bubble type economy. And this time it's pretty evenly distributed, but if anything, it's more to the, the value stocks underperforming than it is to the growth stocks outperforming, but there is growth outperformance through there, pretty significant growth outperformance. That makes sense, I guess, for like 73, since it was more mild, it's probably, probably more has to do with the, the absolute than the relative, if that makes sense. Yeah, that was, so it's, you know, from 1940 to 2006, there's really not many, to, like there's this drawdown that I had to track down and try and figure out what it was, that there was this thing called the Eisenhower recession in 1957, like 
I bet there's nobody alive who remembers that or even knows what that was. But there was basically this mild drawdown and value long short didn't work very well for a very short period of time. You know, forgotten depression, 2021, that is pretty significant on the chart, but again, not nowhere near. So these like 1857, 1904, 1929, and today are the really significant ones. Massive. Dot com kind of, it's in there. And it's a significant one, but it's not like the it's not the first it's not in the first four that you kind of look at on that chart. Mm. And that would be the most famous one in my lifetime. I mean, I, I think that every value guy who was around then will say that was the toughest period. But this thing is not, this thing is much much worse. The really scary thing is that often when you see this sort of underperformance in value driven by the long side of value, it has tended to lead into these really nasty periods. I think that you know even outside the stock market, like there's been these long periods of very, very, uh, you know, American Civil War, World War One, um, like that period of time that there's a lot of stuff going on. We kind of haven't seen much of that for a long period of time. I, either it's a Stephen A. Pinker view of the world where everything's just getting better, or it's a Taleb view of the world where we just don't have enough data and these big it's black swan. Day before Thanksgiving. Yeah, I mean, it makes me a little bit. It not not nervous is the wrong word, but it makes me a little bit more circumspect about the prospects for. You know, it's it's all a little bit more fragile, I think, than than we than I originally thought. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, you have to. It's pain that scrubs off high valuations, right? And and high multiples, and this like you know, I mean, it takes a decade almost of having your ass kicked for everyone to say, but you know, for them to declare the death of equities that brings right. an eight PE that that then leads right. to the giant returns later. Yeah, I I don't know. I feel like I have like conflicting thoughts on this because part of me says rates, bro. But yeah, I mean a little bit, and and I guess like I you know the like oh eight uh, was both like a liquidity issue and an earnings issue, and the liquidity issue just isn't here this time. So yeah, to not have like this totally heart crushing you know, sell-off doesn't really shock me all that much. I do wonder, like, how long can sort of the disappointment continue before uh, some of the, I don't want to say, like, euphoria, but optimism gets deflated out of some of the multiples. And that can have a reflexive sort of, like, you know, uh, I mean, it's reflexive, I think, to a certain extent. Um, But I don't know. Uh, it's not a very helpful comment, I don't think, but it's it's why I don't think we're it's why I'm not waiting for 08 again. I I just don't think that's the right bet to make. So let's uh let's get a I want you guys to handicap right now. What are the chances of value catches up or everything else catches down? What is the what are the odds on those two prospects to close this gap? I think it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B. I think it's like 80%. That's bullshit. <laughs> well, it's okay. So this is, <laughs> that's fair. This is uh, 40%. That's my guess. This is, so what yeah, I, I think that it's like, uh, I think it's mostly the high multiple stuff is going to come down, but I also think that value is going to get dinged up through here too. And I, I think that the long short value factor telling us that, that it's down 50, 
9%. So in a world where that, that happens, that long short value factor is going to do very well because it's equally weighted long short. It's going to be long these stocks that don't go down as much as the the, so the short side goes down. The short book's going to carry the day probably for that that, that period more. I, I, I do. And I think that's what's happened in the past. Often these value underperformances have terminated with the bottoms of of famous, uh, like infamous, massive uh, stock market crashes. So I, I'm not predicting a massive stock market crash or anything like that. I'm just saying that the market's expensive. It's been a long time. I don't know. I can I, read the Business Insider <laughs> uh, article already. Value manager Toby Carlisle declares massive crash imminent. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know. Requires uh, multiple boss declares. Yeah, I hope it comes out soon because I'm gonna I'm a member for approximately 28 more days. I paid my dollar to see whatever they quoted me in. Actually, what's gonna like, be funny oh, okay. is it's actually gonna say Bill Brewster declares it. <laughs> no, nah, that was it was more than that, but that was sort of funny how they. I mean, I didn't mean to take take uh, credit for your Apple's the greatest trade ever. Uh, that was not my intent. Oh no! I figured I figured that it was uh, I figured that was ger- the journalist picking out the most interesting comment out of the whole thing and then making that the headline. Oh, I wasn't... The funniest thing is I didn't even think that was the most interesting comment that I made. But then that was you know they say Apple that's Especially the one that's going to get. Me, well, you right? get you get Apple and yeah. Buffett. You get Apple and Buffett together, and that's a that's a good headline. I used to when I was yeah. writing Greenback, like you stick Golden Buffett in a headline, that's that's going to go through the roof. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> the clickbait that can't be ignored. Yeah, it's just it's still it's still stunning to me that so few people have sort of talked about Buffett's trade in Apple. Like that, you get if you if you're um, if you're Paulson, someone writes a book about you. If you're Buffett, yeah, yeah it's expected. Your stock price yeah. goes down. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you the thing that sucks though. That's a legit criticism, and this is sort of Jake when when we were talking offline about absolute relative valuations. I mean, that stock has not gone. Uh, you know, I mean, it's underperformed a lot over the past 10 years yeah right like and he's needed the apple trade to sort of like keep treading water and that's some of what i think like there's a legit um i don't want to say criticism because i don't think that's really the right way to frame it but i think that there would be merit to the argument of saying like once you get to a point of having so much excess capital even doing something like running a levered S&P strategy or returning the capital to shareholders faster. I, I just think sitting on the cash and being so rigid about your hurdle rate. I, I mean, you know, it's there are mo- multiple paths of the world and we're sitting here at all time highs and maybe this is resulting and I get it. But there's another view of the world that says, like, you're maybe a little bit too big to be sitting on all this cash waiting for that kind of uh uh, I'm going a hundred percent fading that. Yeah, so am I. I his, his, like, haven't? Uh, did you listen at all to the Markel call yet? No, not yet. Well, I, I'm not completely done with it because it was just this morning. But uh, it sounds like insurance pricing is hardening up quite a bit. And yeah. I, I love the fact that Warren's going to have all of that capital be riding against hard prices like i would expect combined ratios over the next couple years to look pretty attractive happy to hear that i'm a lot of insurance yeah so do i i'm just saying you think he's going to be able to put a hundred billion dollars to work i think he gets a lot of money i hope so i'm doing the jack nicholson (laughs) 
we got to do your we got to do your topic, Bill. We're going to run out of time. Yeah. Let's go, Bill. Knock Starbucks. That out in no time. But that's what I said to the Business Insider people. I said it's time to press the advantage. He spent all this time, you know, getting all this capital. Like, fuck it, man. Go ham at all these competitors. Like, invest like crazy in these businesses that can't go. Anyone that's over indebted, go kill them. Like, this is what we have all waited for. I just don't know that he can put that much capital out the door. The thing that we'll makes that bloke the best investor in the world is that he doesn't what? listen. To, like, the reason that bloke's got $100 billion stacked up is because he's the most patient investor in the world. And he's just sitting there I waiting with his $100 billion stacked up. I get it. It's just like, if you listen to him over the years, he acknowledges that size is a problem, right? So, I mean, it is a problem. I think he's done some good deals. Uh I mean, I think the Dominion deal. Let him do one more. No, no, that's give him that's one more. Not, he, yeah, he's earned think, it. He's okay. He's okay at this game. No, he's earned it. Sorry, not what I'm saying. I'm saying the Dominion deal appears to be a good deal, from what I understand. I like the Bank of America buys. I like that he's buying in shares. I'm sure he's underwriting insurance. I'm not trying to have him drag a hundred billion dollars of cash around for the next decade. Uh, like that's it's too much. So we'll see. I I. I mean, we'll see. The market, I think, recognizes some of it, and I think the market's stupid on some of it. Like most good things in life, there's no clear answer. Let's see your topic, um, No, I just think, like, I, I've just, I've debated people on Starbucks, and I'm not saying, like, sell the stock or short the stock or anything like that. What I am saying is I, I am not, it's not an idea that intrigues me at all right now. And, you know, Price, when... Or what's the problem? Well, I I think that the business is harder to handicap than most people do right now, and I was shocked at how expensive it is. I looked yesterday very quickly. I was like, "How did it get that expensive?" Rates, bro. I guess so. Right. I mean, that's the only answer. But like, you know, people are saying, uh, you know, well, it's it's a great business. Look at returns on invested capital. I mean, we sort of went through that last week. How I think through that, like, I you know, I uh, I get that it's a great business you're paying for a pretty big installed base of earnings here. You got to grow the earnings. You're looking at a situation where habit is forced to change right now. It's not as if like, like somebody said, uh, it might've been my man, corporate Raider said in the, like in the, what's different about now in the global financial crisis, the difference is, uh, in the GFC, people were still going to work and the high income earners were still going to Starbucks. This is a sustained force change of everyone's behavior. And there's a potential for work from home to take off. I get that people drive out of their house to go to Starbucks. That is way different than like 10 people at a bank or a law firm or whatever every day at 2 p.m. seeing the office sucks. I'm going to go to Starbucks to take a walk, getting all those sales. Like you really want to argue that that many people are going to go like gather at Starbucks? They're definitely not right now because you can't gather. And once it gets cold outside, you're going to drive to Starbucks to drive back home. You're not like you're not going to hang out inside the third place. Let's say this goes on for 12 months. That is a habit business and habit is forced to change. The idea that that habit based business is priced almost at its all time high right now. Uh, I haven't put numbers to the to paper, but I can look at the price and tell you my assumptions would be more bearish. I agree with what I say that. Oh, go ahead. I, I, I was just going to say, I, I saw the announcement yesterday and then I, I had a quick look at the valuation. I was just stunned at how expensive it was. I was like, do people know yeah. that 
no, nobody's going there. I still think that most of that's going to come back. <laughs> I think it's all going to normalize and it'll all be fine eventually. But I'm not going to pay. I mean, top I don't dollar know, for it. I mean, if you're, are you, are you kind of implicitly long cities if you're long Starbucks? I still, th- yeah, I still think, I think we're, we've had are. pandemics before. We've had pandemics yeah. before and we've become increasingly centralized. Like that, that's never going away. That's people just like living near other people because all the stuff is here, including the Starbucks. I like going into Starbucks, even though the coffee is terrible and I can't drink it. I just like going into, although they're really, they're nice places to hang out. If the coffee was halfway decent, they'd take over the world. They've already I, taken I, I over the world. Mind. I don't mind. Doesn't the matter. I like, the, I like the brand. I just, you know, it's like around. I have three people that I interact with, right? They're not like friends, but I'm friendly with them enough that I know this information about them. I mean, they've all bought like high-end coffee makers this yeah. through the pandemic. Now, you know, is that like, I, I don't know. It, it, if that can grab one cup per day or two cups a week, I mean, throughput matters a lot and i i remember thinking this with chipotle when they had the listeria thing and i was too freaking dumb to realize how many boxes they could open to grow that way but i was like i think that the the per store throughput it has a real chance of of being permanently impaired because it it uh introduces the thought of there's another option to people's mind and if you look at Chipotle same store sales, they are not what they were at the peak. Um, now, you know, there might be some cannibalization in boxes that they open and whatever, uh, and sales have grown, but I don't know, man. Messing with habit and habit based businesses makes me very nervous. So that's I'm gonna so, say sorry. I'm gonna say that uh, there's a chance that it gets more uh, what we have in out here is uh, this company called Dutch Brothers. And it's a it's a drive-through coffee place. You don't go hang out there really, uh, but it's these things are crazy. Like I I don't know. It's a private company, so I don't know the numbers. But the returns on capital must be off the charts because it's like throw up a shed in a parking lot, and the thing is like twenty deep every <laughs> single time you drive past it. I, I shit you not. Like these things are unbelievable. So I can imagine Starbucks doing a lot more drive-through, which actually probably is even more profitable for them. Uh, the other thing too is typically small indulgences, luxuries, small luxuries during bad times do pretty well because people aren't doing the bigger things, but they want some little, like it used to be movie theaters, right? During depressions would do well because people just want to escape a little bit. I still think like a $4 milkshake that is coffee flavored, uh, (laughs) that people call going to Starbucks, uh, might do okay, uh, in a, in a poor environment because of that. So I do think you're right though. Like I think there's, Maybe. you know, and, and are you paying the right price to against all of those odds is a, is an interesting question. Yep. I mean, we're not that far removed from like, they can't innovate. How are they going to f- fix the afternoon day part? And then they dropped iced coffee and now everybody <laughs> thinks they can do no wrong. I mean, it's like, I I'm old enough to remember when their the afternoon day part was stalling, uh, which was approximately 18 months ago. <laughs> It, well, remember it, when it, they closed down to retrain sandwiches for but, breakfast now so it's it's off to the races remember when howard schultz came back and they closed down for like a day and a half so they could retrain all the baristas and then the coffee was exactly the same yeah it's yeah. it's drip coffee that's the problem you need espresso otherwise it's going to take like dishwater 
I think well, that's... and I can I can hear people right now being like they got drive-throughs, they got the third place. People are going to work from home, so they're going to go to Starbucks. Okay, I mean, I I, I really do understand the arguments. But I'm I with just... you, dude. I'm not, I don't want to pay top dollar for that. I'll pay a bargain basement yeah. bin dollar for that. Like the, on the on betting that it's going to come back, 100%. I do that, but I'm not going to pay yeah. pay it top dollar right now. I also think it's an interesting insight to say that it's a habit-based business. And we're breaking the habit. And so now you've got to get that habit back. And I, you're right. I don't know what people do post this. It's harder to acquire back than it is to create, right? And like, yeah. you know, I mean, it's it's the old Buffett thing. Like the chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken. But like they are forced to be broken right now for all of the consumers. Now, I understand people are going to Starbucks, but it's just a very different habitual experience in your day. And you've mess with people's routine it's just not something i want to pay top dollar for meanwhile you got altria who apparently people are smoking like crazy in the freaking uh coronavirus creating addiction growing top line and they can't give the stock away it's that kind of market it's it's at like a it's the look through dividend yield on that thing is like nine and a half percent once you back out the ab InBev. uh you know, investment. God forbid, Jewel actually isn't a total turd. You're going to get yourself up over a 10% dividend yield on a highly addictive product growing top line. You just have to get over the fact that you're going to make money off of people dying, <laughs> which is not that yeah. easy to do. There's some ick factor on that. It's, uh, it's that time. Three questions in. Uh, we should talk about Kodak. Kodak's mooned because uh, they've, they've, was it blockchain? What, what, what have they mooned for this time? pharmaceuticals yeah they're gonna make they're gonna make that it's it's becoming this stock is getting it should get a little bit of a rep by now like that they they made that the cash miner the kodak cash miner when blockchain was hot now they're making they're going to come out with some covid pharmaceutical they're going to manufacture some covid pharmaceuticals or something like that kodak what are you doing I know nothing about the Kodak story, nor, nor have a look at the stock price. To. It's gone well, vertical. Well, apparently we're all, as a society, giving them seven hundred fifty million dollars or something to go try to figure this out. Give, I'll That's do it for true. half that. Yeah, right. I'll take a chop at it. <laughs> I haven't this even seen the news. Worse, the three of us. Why is it ripping? What's Co- going the, on? They, they managed to get a press release out with the word coronavirus or COVID in it, and so now they're they're going bananas. No, they're getting stimmy money for trying to have some pharmaceutical approach to COVID. And even though I don't even know what they do anymore. It doesn't matter. We're just... talking Kodak, right? Kodak. Yeah, the headline was Buffett like and Gold and went bananas. Company? Yes. And then you had, uh, I don't know if you saw the Robin Hood like, avalanche behind that too after the announcement. It's like, like 43,000 accounts bought some. Bought it in like an hour. And ran it up to I don't know whatever it was like sixty, and then it was back down to thirty like twenty minutes later or something. I don't Still know. Pretty good run, good performance. <laughs> I, I understand like the the industry has got some issues with uh, driving behavior, but ah, man, it's I don't know. I hope Robin Hood cleans its act up. There's some insidious shit that goes on in that, uh, from my perspective. That is opinion based and not an official representation of the Acquirers <laughs> podcast. Hey, how about this uh, other one? Uh, Billy Bean apparently launching his own SPAC to maybe uh, go try to acquire. Yeah, that's the other a... thing that's going on, right? Dude, What's he going to acquire? Uh, like a professional sports team, I guess. Why wouldn't I just target. own the Liberty Braves? Thank you very much. Partner with Malone. There you go. Get myself a team that actually wins. 
He'd have how to much, do it in a tracking stock. Uh, how much financialization yeah, yeah. can we do here? Jesus. I mean, as much as possible. It's does America. anybody want to just build something instead of just trying to like get someone else's money to go buy it? I'm always stunned at how short the memories nice. are. Like Spax. Nobody remembers Spax the last time around or the time before that. Like it's not like it's these things happen every 10 years or so. I mean, it's not that long. How did the results turn out on those? Well, I you can buy a lot of them when they when they cash out. You can, I mean, the, the only two terms to buy a SPAC, in my humble opinion, are when they haven't been able to find a deal and they're going to return the capital because they have to do that after a certain period of time, or they've bought the deal and it's traded down below what it's worth and then you go and buy it. Like, it's just like any other stock. You don't, you don't back them with the cash and then hang around to see what they get. That's, that's Bush League. Yeah, you're on the wrong, wrong end of optionality there. All of these guys, if, you got a, if you're famous and you've got PR, you've got a publicist... Uh, get yourself a SPAC, get a billion dollars in your SPAC and figure out what you're going to do with it. I mean, that's a great, for the manager, yeah, great idea. For the investor, dumb idea. How much does it cost to get one of these launched? What are we doing? What are you doing on Friday? (laughs) (laughs) I I couldn't, I couldn't look in the, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't. Next time around, next time around I'm doing it. It's not going to be that long. Um, (laughs) At the pace of change right now, it'll be like, 2022 will be onto the next uh, bubble. So, the other, the other thing, this this is slightly off topic, but um, every time I say that Buffett's got, you know, Bill, Bill's article came out with uh, Buffett's Buffett's got the That's best. That's not mine. That's not well, mine. The Business Insider article. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. This is not they a. Just cri- asked you for quotes, and I just parroted something you had said. I'm not criticizing. I'm not criticizing. Okay. I'm not criticizing at all. I'm, this is the only I point that I make. You to think I stole it no, from you. I, I don't at all. It's. I don't at all. Okay. Every time. Every time. I say that someone comes and says Naspers with Tencent, that's the best trade ever. Just step back and think about this for a moment. In the world, there are like a dozen of these Chinese companies that have gone up some stupendous amount over a period of time. And there is somebody out there who got into them 20 years ago. All yeah. you, so if you work it backwards, you've had to go like look at every company in the world. So they found some South African company that's got a little position in some Chinese company, and that's the best investment ever. The reason that's not the best investment ever, and the reason Buffett is the best oh, investment no. ever. What happened? That was a bit wacky. We flipped. <laughs> the reason that Buffett is the best investment ever is that Buffett was a totally known quantity and put a, had to put a huge amount of money into it, and now it's gone up three times in a very short period of time. And it was something doesn't... everyone could have seen. Right. Like, that was in front of the world, That's and it. everybody else was too scared, and he had massive balls. Fair. So, uh... Questions. Intel questions on there. I don't really know about Intel versus AMD. What I have heard... Is that uh, I'll tell you what pisses me off is that I miss Taiwan Semi, because that I sort of understood, and that was that from my understanding is a scale game, and I look for scale games, and I fucking miss that, and I'm disappointed in myself. You know who's got a big chunk of that? Perth Toll and Freedom. Shout out to Perth. She's got a big. That's her biggest mm. holding, I think. So good for yeah. her. That's a big win. Freedom. Uh, a SPAC is cheaper than an here. Let me throw this up. SPAC is cheaper than an IPO. Um, yeah, because you're just raising you're just raising cash, so there's nothing to disclose. There's no DD. Then you're backing these guys to go and do the DD. It's cheaper for the person listing the SPAC. It's not cheaper for the investor. Yeah, it's just a promise. Not eventually, it won't be. I don't care about. <laughs> I don't care what it costs those dudes. I don't care what it costs the VCs to get something out the door. 
I don't care yeah. what it costs the, the manager or the promoter to get it out the door. I care about what I pay. That's it's, as good as money, sir. so hard for me to read the economics on SPACs and get amped up about funding on. Uh, here's a good one. Uh, what drives forward returns? Economic viability, rationale, or current percent of public's involvement? Catalyst to it. Sorry, I don't, I don't understand the question, but nobody really knows. Bad, it's, it's a variety of factors. Yeah, it's whether it's right whether Robin Hood likes right it or not. <laughs> what do you right. say? It's it's whether Robin Hood likes it or not. Short term. I mean, look if you're if you if you're a younger person or somebody that's truly interested in investing and you're asking that question, I would really encourage you to think about how long you think the growth runway is and what the returns on incremental capital are and how good you think the business is and then what you're paying today. Well, I'm just saying, right? That I mean, that's what drives forward returns. Robinhood is the the ultimate voting machine. I understand what you're saying, but I'm I'm saying this is an honest answer to the question, right? Like you've got to think about the growth and what's it going to cost the business and what are you paying today? That's what drives forward returns. The Fed. True. And the Fed. (laughs) The Fed and Robinhood. I don't know. I don't know what drives returns. Used to be used to be a variety of things. Yeah, so this is an interesting one. Uh, nobody's talking about the expl- the implosion of D2C consumer startups. Harry's Shave Club written off, Dollar Shave Club, Casper Brandless, all dying. Evidence of brands moat. Um, that is very interesting. Yeah, I've sort of seen that going on. But it's just because like that, that was all very popular for a little while and now it's sort of it's software as a service kind of yeah. is a hot thing at the moment at the moment it's just any it's very bubbly it was kind of software as a service i could understand this is sort of this is all gone a bit bananas now this is sort of gary friedman from restoration hardware's argument that you need some combination of retail plus uh, he actually hasn't really invested online but i mean if you're if you're like direct to consumer and you're online i would think that the biggest risk is you're basically trading your brand awareness to amazon and google for placement and how do you stay in people's heads if you're just basically buying your customer acquisition all the time something like casper how often are people buying a mattress like that's not super habit forming Dollar Shave Club and Harry's are sort of a little bit more shocking because that's more of a subscription service. But I, I just think the real risk of not controlling your distribution is you're just handing it to these behemoths. Yeah, I mean, the other problem, too, is you're they probably because they all tried to get in at the same time, like it just like the, you know, when there's a gold rush and they people will overpay for picks and shovels. You know, they probably overpaid for customer acquisition. Like they, like ads were more expensive, and you saw that. You saw ads prices drop a lot in whenever, like March, April, and I think a lot of it was because like just everyone shut their ad spend off because they're scared, right? So, you know, you probably were all competing in that same space too hard, and it's going to be hard to then get the customer lifetime value up high enough, especially for something like a mattress that's like a once a decade purchase or or longer if you're a cheapskate like me. Mattress uh, as a service. That solves that problem. You don't yeah, you don't buy you it, you just rent it from us for nineteen dollars a month. It's called a hotel. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, I wouldn't want the used mattresses. Uh 
Yeah, Jake, I think you're right. And then the other thing is when everybody's playing that game at the same time, not only like I, I think you get you suffer on the CAC side and the LTV side. Like I, I just yeah, I, it's not uh, low barriers I, to entry. I mean, it's not. Yeah, I think I think you got to be sharp to really play that. Like who's winning, who's losing. I I don't think the I think the half life on those businesses is much faster than people think. I think that's the yes. they, all of those things popped up because they just underestimated the customer acquisition cost when it actually got to got to scale, and they overestimated the lifetime value. And just because there was a period of time where, and you can lose money for like get some VC, lose some money for a period of time. People are like oh look, these guys are selling a billion dollars worth of mattresses. Like look that's how a, they're growing. Yeah. Well, so, okay, this is a different one. I have no idea what I'm talking about right here, so feel free to skewer me. But, like, you look at Shopify's growth, right? How much of Shopify's growth is people sitting at home creating sort of a business for some ancillary revenue stream? Maybe they don't actually want to run a business. Maybe they get into it. And they, I, I mean, I just don't know how that, how it all turns out, but, like, there's so few barriers to entry. How much of that is, like... like I don't know, money losing businesses that like sort of come in, provide a temporary pop and then disappear versus how much is a structural option. I understand the whole market thinks it's structural. I get it. This is a controversial opinion to suggest maybe it's a temporary bump. I apologize for even articulating the concern. Um, stock, stock price. Yeah, but you know, it's, <laughs> it's all that stuff I think is somewhat related. Um, I got a good question here. It might be more you, Bill. Uh, so take a chop at this one, but any thoughts handicapping credit risk going forward if the additional unemployment benefits either go away or reduced? Uh, yeah, shit could get bad. <laughs> I mean, I think I think that everyone is long government stimulus right now, and you're lying to yourself if you think that you're not. So if, uh, yeah, I mean, if they just cut, I, look, I think if you support people at 70% uh, and they get a $1,200 check up front, you know, the credit risk is probably fine as it is. I don't know that, uh, I don't know that people are expecting the benefits to stay where they are, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think, I think the biggest, the single biggest risk to the economy is a Biden presidency with a Republican Senate. Cause I think the Republicans find Jesus again about spending and, and that could be a real problem for the, for fiscal stimulus. Yeah, like I, how many people right now are implicitly long government functionality? Everyone. Except for the people that own golden cash. Except for yeah, like all of us be... with our tinfoil hats on. And... Yeah. But yeah, we're I all going to get hurt. For sure. Yeah. Everybody's going to get impacted. Yeah. I, it's a total mess. I, 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 I'm guessing they're going to get something done. July 31, they will run out, right? So they've got, a, they've got two more days of three more days of grandstanding probably run it all the way up to midnight and then come to some compromise which is like 80 percent of the previous amount something like that just enough so everybody hates it yeah that's right totally yeah. like is it are we just is this the most dysfunctional time in history i mean you know people are gonna be like well you did have a civil war so i'm well, gonna fair. go with no but uh <laughs> modern mean, history I'd... then it yeah it certainly feels um could be our lifetime lifetime potentially I mean, you know, there, there's a world watching this podcast or listening, so this is sort of an American-centric uh, comment. Yeah, sorry. I think it, it's more global it, than that, to be fair. I think that a lot of the things that ail the states, ail Europe, ail a lot of the world, maybe not maybe not Asia, Africa, maybe, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I agree with you. I guess what I was going to say as far as the America 
centric comment is I have not been aware of a time since I paid attention where I thought that we hated each other more than we were afraid of outside enemies. And I think that this is the first time that I really worry about us being able to function as a society because it feels like uh, things are so polarized now that we can't even talk to each other. And that's kind of scary. Then again, we did like the North and South hated each other too. So I do wonder if it's sort of the moment that the moment that that stuff crescendos though is like the, the, the moment that the immune response is sort of kicking in. And so I think a lot of the, uh, I just wonder if the, like the fact that it's everybody's aware of the problem now, whereas probably everybody wasn't even a few months ago. And so that you're kind of getting closer to being there being a solution. Hopefully everything calms down a little bit, like whatever the outcome of the election is, it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just hoping. Know. I think there's, there's probably in my mind only one way that we unify and that's, with a common enemy, unfortunately. Well, that's not a good outcome. I know. And I call me crazy, but let's say Trump leaves. I don't exactly see him getting off Twitter. <laughs> like he's, he's going to get his own cable station. He's going to go into the background and not like criticize Biden. He'll have a he'll have a he'll have a he'll have a, he'll have a uh, Fox Show News uh, cable yeah. station. He'll have his own cable station. Yeah, on the One America News Network. That's time, amigos. Already. Jeez, yeah, yeah, that's 11.30 uh, local time. Thanks, folks. It was really fun. We'll, uh, s- actually, next week we're off. Uh, so it'll be the yeah, week I'll after next sure week. Uh, I'm, I'm going on vacation. See you all in two weeks. See you then, guys. Bye. Move with the Shake it up, stop when the clock hits 13.